This morning's reading is from chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and can be found in your Pew Bibles on page 1003. Jesus heals a paralytic. A few days later, when Jesus arrived again, sorry, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat that the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As you can see, Ian's picked up the mat and the children have gone. But the young people are going to go to um, their um, wearing God's wellies now as well. So we'll just pray for them as they leave and the children. Father, we thank you for these youngsters that we have, and we pray for them for their time together as they worship and hear about about you, Lord, that you would bless them. And Lord, we thank you for willing people who are are willing to lead and, and help them in that journey, and we ask for your blessing upon them. Amen. And then I think Peter's going to come and preach. <laughs> just a few technical pitches. I'll just pray while well, you're sorting yourself out. <laughs> Father, we, we thank you for this amazing story um, of healing the paralytic and just to see your power and glory. And Lord, we pray that you would be with Peter and that you would bless him as he leads, leads us in this study now. Lord, that we would see your hand. Amen. Sarah. I just only just uh, thought I'd get a walkabout mic just as, uh, as uh, Ian came up to get in the carpet. So that was, that was the prompt. Um, oh, I don't think I... Great. Well, good morning to you. Uh, can I add my welcome to Christchurch if you're vi- visiting with us this morning. Um, it's great to see new people uh, here. So last Sunday, if you are here, Mike was uh, preaching on uh, Mark chapter 1. 
and uh, he, was, uh, he was here as our, one of our visiting mission partners, and uh, it's great to, to welcome them, wasn't it, and to hear about some of their work uh, in Birmingham, and to uh, hear about their, their ministry they got with the international students. And um, I think we, we do need to keep them in our prayers. As all the mission partners, we need to keep on praying for them, uh, not just sort of hear about their work and then, in a sense, move on. So we do need to keep praying for them. But Mike was uh, preaching on chapter one uh, of Mark, and uh, Mark is the gospel of all the, the four gospels. The one has the most sort of non-stop action to it. Uh, if you are into the synoptic gospels, uh, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll know that Mark uh, is, we think, probably the first one to be written. Uh, Mark was used as, uh, as one of the sources for the other two synoptic gospels, and uh, he really is, is not the only source, but is the main source for Matthew and Luke. And, uh, and Mark is this non-stop action gospel. Uh, he's a man of action. He's a man who kind of, you know, one thing happens and another thing happens and immediately then Jesus went there, immediately Jesus went there. And it's almost like a breathless telling of the story of the narrative of the gospel of Jesus. Uh, Matthew uh, begins with the genealogy. Uh, people who look into this think that Matthew was writing to, particularly to the, to the Jewish uh, diaspora, uh, to the Jews around the Mediterranean, and, and of course the Jews living uh, in Israel, in Judah, uh, in Jerusalem. But he was really, Matthew was wanting to, in a sense, set out to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. So he le lays out that long gene genealogy uh, at the start of Matthew. Luke, in fact, takes three chapters to get to where Mark starts. Uh, Luke has a, an amazing uh, a way of, of telling the opening, uh, the nativity and, and, the, and the angels and, and, and Mary and all these other things. But uh, Luke takes three chapters just to even to start where Matthew starts. And John, well, John is in a different genre altogether. John is, uh, uh, you know, is different altogether to the other Gospels. But Mark, as I said, is action, action, action. And wherever Jesus is, there's, there is signs of the kingdom. And in fact, if you open uh, to Mark chapter 1, you'll see how he starts his gospel. And Mike told us this last week. The very opening of the gospel of Mark says the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. So just in that sentence, Mark is laying out for us, what is my gospel about? Well, my gospel is going to be about the good news. The gospel. The euangelion in Greek. The good news of whom? Well, of Jesus the Messiah. The Messiah, who is promised of long ago, foretold through the prophets, he is this, this one, this is the anointed one of God. This is Jesus who has come to be good news and to enable the good news. And then later on in Mark chapter 1, we have another one of these pithy statements that Mark likes to put in. And so he says, uh, Jesus says, the time has come, verse 15, chapter 1, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, Repent and believe the good news. So again, we've got the good news comes back. The gospel comes back into it. The kingdom of God has come. Do something about it, says Jesus. Repent. Don't just uh, hear it uh, and say, well, that sounds interesting. He says, no, repent. Come and say sorry. Put your life right and go on and believe the good news. Walk it, talk it, think it, live it. And so as I say, Jesus, wherever Jesus is, there are things that are happening. You've got people being raised to new life. 
You've got people who have had illnesses for a long time being healed. You have uh, those who can't see now being able to see. You have lepers who have got leprosy now being healed of leprosy. Wherever Jesus is, the kingdom of God, as, he's, as, as Mark is saying, as, as Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is breaking through. It's, it's, it's happening as Jesus does his ministry. And so in chapter 1, uh, we get immediately... Uh, uh, he, Jesus goes, he calls his disciples, and then from verse 21, he goes into Capernaum, and he drives out an evil spirit, and uh, going on in chapter 1, it says uh, in verse 29, he's, as they left the synagogue with James and John, they go to the home of Simon and Andrew, and this is the home of Simon's mother-in-law, who is in bed with a fever. What happens? Well, he's, he heals her. He takes her by the hand, helps her up. The fever leaves her. Again, it's a sign of the kingdom of God coming, breaking through. And then it says, verse 32 in chapter 1, what happens? All the people come with their ill and their sick and their de- uh, all of these demon-possessed gathered around Jesus because the kingdom of God is breaking through. They want to be near Jesus. And Jesus heals them. And then Jesus goes off to a, a, a lonely place, a solitary place, because he knows he's got to be in relationship with his Father. He has to be in relationship with his Father for the kingdom of God to keep on breaking through. So he goes away. Let us go somewhere else, he says to his disciples. And then he's travelling throughout Galilee. He's preaching and teaching in the synagogues. He's driving out demons. And a man with leprosy comes to him. Verse 40 in chapter 1. If you are willing... You can make me clean. He has sensed the kingdom of God is near. So he goes to Jesus and he says to him, be clean. And immediately, immediately the leprosy leaves him. What does he say to the man? He says, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. But instead he goes out and begins to talk freely. Can't keep the news to himself. He spreads the news And so Jesus can't enter a town without him being noticed, without him being known, right at the end of chapter 1. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet, the people still came to him and came to him from everywhere. And so this is how we get to chapter 2, and it says a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum. So we've heard about Capernaum in chapter 1. This is where he's gone already. And he's going back to Capernaum. And what happens? Well, the people hear about him. Not surprisingly, they've heard about him all over the place already. So they hear about him again. And they gather around him in Capernaum in such numbers that there is no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So the crowds have gathered around him. They've heard, the, they've heard about this. There's miracles, the healings, the amazing signs and wonders of the kingdom of God breaking through. And people want to get to to him. They are trying to get to Jesus in such numbers that you can't even open the front door, let alone get near the front door or uh, ring the doorbell. You can't get near the door because there's so many people there. And he preached the words to them, Mark tells us. And then, of course, we then get into the story of the five men. Five men. Four men carrying one man on the mat. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. These men are desperate 
to get their friend to Jesus. And I just want to talk about three things today. It's a very simple sermon. It's, it's an ABC sermon. Uh, it's, it's the, uh, this faith that they show is active. This is an active faith. It's not a passive faith, it's an active faith. Secondly, it's a bold faith. They do bold things to get their friends to Jesus. They don't fear the consequences. And thirdly, it's creative. It's an ABC of faith. It's, in a sense, the simplest, but in yet it's very challenging. So let's look at the active faith. I've, I've said verse 3 already. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd, what do they do? They break open the roof. They break open the roof. Isn't that amazing? They tear the roof apart. In those days, if you've got a building, it's going to have some stone, but it's going to have quite a lot of straw and a lot of thatch to it. So that's how they built those houses in those days, because of the fact that you could do it. It's a, it's a warm climate, so you don't have to have windows. It does get cold in Israel, but it, it, you know, generally speaking, it's, it's a fairly warm place. So you can do that in that sort of roof. If you've got tiles on your roof, it's a bit more difficult. But they could do it. They did it. They were active in their faith. And they were proactive, not even just active, they were proactive. They, they went out of their way, they saw the problem, and they thought to themselves, what are we going to do? My friend is paralysed, he's been paralysed probably since birth, we don't know. But he's paralysed. We need to get him to Jesus, we've got to get him to Jesus, because Jesus is breaking, the kingdom of God is breaking out through him. So let's get them to Jesus. They do something quite amazing and drastic, and they do it willingly. I don't know about you, but active faith, I find so much more inspiring than passive faith. Active faith, so much more inspiring than passive faith. Just think of the people that you know and that I know about who have lived out their Christian faith throughout history. Those people who have lived out their faith, people like St. Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament, who went out and despite the persecution, despite everything that was coming against him, the, the, the church of that time was intense, under intense persecution, so Paul goes out into the Roman Empire and he plants his churches in Macedonia, Greece, around the Mediterranean, around uh, where Syria is now, where Turkey is now. He plants all these churches and he goes out and he does it boldly. Amazing faith. St. Paul, setting up these little churches. There's many others. St. Augustine, who uh, some of you may have read his confessions and other things that St. Augustine's written. I, I must admit, I want to read more of what he's, he's written. He's such an amazing founding father of the faith. He was, uh, again, others, the, the early fathers who went out into the desert and spent so much time praying, listening. And then you get people like Martin Luther, uh, uh, the Reformation, one of my heroes, I mean, he wasn't perfect by any means, Martin Luther, but he was an amazing, amazing man, uh, who nailed those theses on the cathedral in Württemberg in Germany, the 99 theses, and said, I, here I stand, he stood up to the, Ro the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V, and he said, here I stand, I will do no other, I can do no other. He said, what about more recently, William Wilberforce, again, one of my heroes of the faith, who years and years and years in the House of Commons said the slave trade is wrong, it is evil, it is immoral, it is corrupt. Against the British Empire, he stood up to them. And he said, this has to change, this cannot stay the same. And he did it, and he did it, and he stood up to them. Eventually, 
the bill was passed in the House of Commons. And then Mother Teresa, another one, more recently, he gave her life to the poorest of the poor in Calcutta. Whatever the cost, she gave her life to those people. And what a saint, what an amazing sign of the kingdom of God. And there are many others. You've probably got people that you know uh, better than I do of those who have given their lives to Jesus and given their lives to make a difference for Jesus. And so the question then for us is, how is my life, how am I living out my faith today where I am? Is my faith active or is it passive? Am I happy just for my faith to be here today, gone tomorrow? Am I, am I okay with my faith just sort of, you know, being something I say, well, yeah, I did go to church yesterday and take, you know, embarrassedly and say, well, I, you know, I don't really want to talk about it. But, you know, where is, where is our faith in our lives? How is our faith making a difference to where we are each day? Are we living it out in a way that's distinctive to those around us? I know you, you, you're in difficult situations, some of you, I know that. And I, I hear that. And, and yet the, the challenge of the gospel is still to be active in our faith where we are, wherever that is. To be active in our faith. Not to be ashamed, not to be embarrassed, but to proclaim Jesus and to tell of what he's doing in our lives. So they showed an active faith, these men. A very amazing faith. Secondly, they were bold. They were bold. They got to get inside. They've got to do something. They can't go through the door. So as I said before, what do they do? They open the roof up. They take apart the bricks. They take apart the thatch. They take apart the straw. And then they lower this man. I don't know how they did it. Whether they did it with ropes or they did it. I don't know how they did it. But they somehow they did it. They lowered the man through the roof down, down to the feet of Jesus. Amazing bold faith. And they, the point of this is that they, they, they did what it took. That's the point, of, part of the point of this story. It's not the whole point, but part of the point of the story is that they did what it took to get their friend to Jesus. Because they realised that, that Jesus was the, the only hope that, that this man had. This is the only hope. You know, the doctors, uh, you know, they didn't have, well, they didn't have hospitals then, did they? Uh, they didn't, I mean, you know, the medical knowledge then was, compared to now, was almost non-existent. They wouldn't have understood in any sense, you know, paralysis, paralysis in these days, again, you know, we can't heal paralysis. The only person who heals paralysis is Jesus. And so they had to bring this man to Jesus to heal him. And so the point of the story, or part of the point of the story, is that they had to bring him, they had to do something. They had to be bold to, to get him to the feet of Jesus. And so if we apply this story to us, the, the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we being bold to bring people to Jesus? Am I being bold in bringing people to Jesus? Again, it's a, it comes back to that, you know, oh, I, you know, am I embarrassed about being a Christian? Or are we happy to be known to be a Christian? It comes back to that. How are we living out our faith? And we could, we could talk about things, oh, we could talk about all sorts of things about how, being bold in our faith. We could talk about, you know, welcome and hospitality. I think this church is welcoming, I do. We need to ask those who, who are new. Now, Debbie and I and the girls are, are reasonably new, so you could ask us, you know, about that. What's it like to come into church? It's actually a difficult thing to come into a, a building you don't know, a group of people you don't know, and you know, all sorts of routines you don't know. But 
we need to kind of keep that openness, don't we, to those who are new. Coffee in the living room is doing a great thing, uh, Margaret and others, in welcoming those who are from the community amongst us and just mingling, that mingling that goes on on a Tuesday morning in the foyer out there, just that, you know, mingling of, of Christians and non-Christians and those who are from the community and those... No, we're all, all from the community, aren't we? But, you know, for people who are outside the church, so those who are, uh, who are inside the church uh, and so on and so on. But that mingling is so important. That welcome is so important. How are, you, how are you inviting others into your home? that you don't know or are beginning to get to know. That's a, there's a challenge. Some of us are great at that. Some of us like doing that. Some of us find that so difficult, inviting people into our homes. But again, it's such a, the part of the challenge of this, being bold, inviting people. Essentially inviting people to the feet of Jesus. John Farrow and I were talking on Tuesday morning at the morning prayers and the day before we'd been doing a bit of prayer walking around the parish, around some of the streets of Basin Hill and uh, it occurred to me and it must have occurred to John because we had a conversation on Tuesday morning about this and we both said, well, why, why are we only doing this on certain occasions? Why are we only doing this once sort of every six months or 12 months? Why don't we do it more often? Because we need to pray for our, our community. We need to pray for the village. And we need to get out there and pray for it. So why don't we do it more often? So maybe we do. Maybe we should. Maybe we need to get out there more often and pray on the streets, pray for the homes and the school and the shops. But being bold, it's about being bold. Taking those opportunities that there are. So just pray about it. Do, do pray about it with each other. Feedback to me, feedback to other leaders, your home group leaders. Uh, about how do you think God is asking us to be bold in our faith? Don't be afraid to share ideas with myself and with others uh, that you have. It's, that's, 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 what, that's how it should be. There's that lovely worship song, isn't there? It's quite an old one now, but it says, Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. So it's about having an active faith, it's about a bold faith, Certainly, it's about having a creative faith. They had a creative faith. They had to think, if you like, outside the box. They had to work out a way. You couldn't get through the front door because it tells us, uh, Mark says, they couldn't get there because of the, the, the way that the crowds are gathering around. So they had to think of outside of, a, of the, the, the normal. They had to think outside of the traditional. So they come up with this amazing solution to coming down through the roof to get into Jesus. Notice the reaction of the teachers of the law. Mm. Notice the verse 6. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The reason they're thinking like that is, well, Jesus has just said to the man who's at his feet, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. And the, and the teachers of the law are thinking to themselves, hang on, you can't say that. Only God forgives sins. Who are you to say that? You're, you're blaspheming. And Jesus knows what's going on in their heart. He can see what's going on in their, in their spirit. And he says, why are you thinking these things? But essentially part of their reaction, it's, it's that, that is the main reaction, but part of their reaction would have been to this 
interruption of their tie with Jesus. Hang on, this man's getting in our way. What's he doing here? This is the teacher, the Lord's probably thinking, well, hang on, this isn't right. And then Jesus says, your, son, your, your sins are forgiven, my son. Jesus gives this man grace. Jesus bestows grace on this man. Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. The teachers of the law are thinking to themselves, this is not right. This man has no authority to forgive sins. How dare he? And Jesus knows what's going on in their heart, and he says, I will show you that I have authority to forgive sins. Get up. Take your mat and walk. So Jesus, you see, he heals the man, body, body soul, mind and spirit. It's a complete healing. It's, it's a healing of the physical, but it's a healing of the spiritual. It's a healing of the, of the heart. And Jesus heals him completely. I tell you, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Get up, take your mat and walk. It is a complete healing. A complete healing. And so we have this amazing, active and bold and creative faith. They've got to do the radical thing for Jesus to heal him body, soul, mind and spirit. And a man gets up, takes his mat and walks out and amazes everyone. Everyone is amazed. Everyone praises God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. There is, wow, look at what Jesus has done. And the story compels us really to think about the church and, and, and to compel us to think about the community of faith and to think about, well, how are we doing this? How do we enable others to meet Jesus? And it doesn't need me to tell you, but you know, don't you, that the, the society around us is changing so fast, it changes almost every day. You know, my girls are telling me about apps I've never heard of. You know, from this day to the next, I, I, you know, technology is changing so fast. You know, they're bringing out iPhone sevens and this, that, and the other kind of. You know, technology is changing so fast. Attitudes are changing so fast. The way that people approach issues is changing so fast. Culture changes so fast. You know, we, we know what's going on in Papua New Guinea. Uh, almost the, the instant it happens. So how does the church react to this fast-changing society? Do we say, uh, there's only one way of doing this? There's only one way of doing church, and that's the way we've always done it. If you like, it's the kind of going through the front door way of thinking. It's that, you know, that, that is the way we do church, is by going in through the front door and meeting Jesus that way. Or do we think about doing things differently and opening up the roof and lowering the mat down, as, as it were, to the feet of Jesus? And so that's where we get into this, you know, fresh expressions of church and pioneer ministry and uh, missional communities and all these other things that, that have been talked about. And I know, I know Tim was into this and I respect him for that because I agree with him that we do need to think about church differently and we need to think about how we reach people. But it's about, I think, uh, a, a both and. 
it's not an either or, it's about doing church in a way that church has always done it, as it were, but we've also got to think of way, ways of doing new church, fresh church, fresh expressions. We've got to somehow keep both together. So you, you'll probably be pleased to know I'm not going to abolish Sunday mornings. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have the power to do that anyway. I'm not. We need to keep our Sunday morning congregations healthy and strong and growing. Of course we do. We've got to do that. We've got to invest in our Sunday morning uh, worship services. We've got to invest in other ways that we meet together in home groups uh, and in all the other things that we're doing at the moment. But we've also got to think of creative ways of being church. Because, as I said, society is changing so fast and people are asking questions that we're probably not even hearing the questions because we're not, we're not there hearing the questions. So how are we going to hear the questions? We've got to draw alongside them. We've got to be with them. We've got to get to know them. They've got to get to know us. And so part of, part of my ministry here, I think, will be to enable that to happen. How we do church on Sundays, but how we do church at other times as well, and enabling all of us to be part of that, thinking through being church. Enabling others to be with Jesus, to meet Jesus. So you go to different places in the week, don't you? You go to gyms, you go to the club, you go to, you go to work, you go to the shops... Uh, you'll go to all sorts of places that I don't go to but you go to them and you're going to enable others to meet Jesus they might meet Jesus here at the front of church or they might meet Jesus where you are in your office it doesn't matter the point is that they're meeting Jesus that's the main thing and Jesus wants you to be an agent of that he wants me to be an agent of that of that enabling of meeting Jesus so I'm going to pray now, and I'm going to pray that we will be that, those people, that we will be people who take those risks, who, as our strapline says, we can be adventurous. We don't have to do things one way, we can do things in different ways. But we've got, our calling is to enable others to meet Jesus as we've met Jesus. has, through Jesus and through the work of the Holy Spirit, different ways of bringing healing. And I just want to share with you very briefly, 30 years ago, um, David and I were in ministry together in Birmingham and I was his curate. And on this one evening, I'd gone out for a ride on a horse. And the horse, while it was out, back legs went from under it. And I fell off, came backwards, fell off. And very quickly, I was in hospital because I was unconscious. I broke, I'd fractured my skull. And in that process of going into hospital, having to have a, a room on my own, um, all the things that they do for you when you're unconscious, David tells me that the, the nurse that was with me that night was a Christian. And he prayed for me throughout that night. David was very quick to let the diocese know. I was um, involved in various things in the diocese and let people know. People from my parish, one person sat at the side of the road with me while they waited for the ambulance to come and prayed for me. And the amazing thing was that in that unconsciousness, God was about his work. 
I had many people praying for me. My daughters, distraught, 18 and 16, just wondering how it was going to be. But one person who was a friend of mine belonged to one of the house groups, Sue. And she phoned David after several days and she said, I believe the Holy Spirit has been telling me that heaven needs anointing. So David said, thank you for telling me that, Sue. So David phoned Bishop Colin, who was a friend of ours, and the diocesan missioner who I used to do work with. They came out with David, and they anointed me on the sixth day. And David was told on the fifth day, I think, that I was going into deeper unconsciousness. And that meant either I was recovering in deeper unconsciousness, or I was going to drift away. So the sixth day I was anointed by, David, by our bishop and David, and my David was there, and our daughter came out to see me that night because people came out and sat with me very regularly. And when she got home and she went with her fiancé, she, she said, um, Dad, do you want the good news or the bad news? And he said, well, tell me the good news first. He said, her eyes are open. She's, uh, one eye is open. One was damaged, but it did recover. One eye is open, and the bad news is she's speaking rubbish. <laughs> I had to learn, actually, to talk again properly. Mm. I had to learn to read again properly. But the Lord was in the whole thing. But how important that Sue said, I feel the Holy Spirit is prompting me to say, Heather, he wants Heather to be anointed. Mm. And then that was a whole different sort of ministry I had because I had to learn all sorts of things again. So mm. that was a whole process about. Mm. I had to learn to be a different person, uh, different things I could do, different things I couldn't do. But 30 years later... Yeah. Mm, yeah. Thanks, Helen. Great. Great to have testimonies from, from the floor. So that's lovely. Let's, let's pray, shall we? And let's ask God to use each and every one of us like that. Father, you, you put us in different places each day. You know the steps we all walk. You know the places we'll go to. You know the people we'll meet. Lord, we pray that you would use us in your grace to be people like that nurse, to be people who pray, who see those ways in which you're going to move, to be people that you can use in all sorts of ways, to be open to your spirit speaking to us, speaking through us, so that people can see and can taste and see that, that you are living and that you are holy, that you are just, that you are merciful, that you are Jesus. Lord, enable us to bring people to your feet for your healing touch. And Lord, we pray that uh, we wouldn't stand in your way. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.